Welcome back to See Right There Podcast, a podcast where two unqualified football fans try to send qualified to talk about football. We're back. We are in the run down to the end of the season. Can I say that now? It's the new year. Like, it's we're into crunch time. Things are happening. Things have to happen. Like, games feel more important. Arsenal are playing Liverpool in a week and a bit, and I'm slightly worried. I say slightly. I'm very, very worried. But... Someone who's never worried is one for co-host Sean. Shawnee, how are you doing? Very good, very good, thank you. You know, all the all the good news happening off the pitch for, for Man United in some senses. Um, and yeah, it's like, it's an interesting period of football. I don't know if it's coming back on because like we've got winter break shit happening and like the FA Cup's on this weekend. So does anyone really care that much? Um, but yeah, midweek next week we're back and we're, we're back into the rundown proper, I think in terms of Premier League fixtures anyway yeah like I, I think I struggle with that intro there it's not really the run in that I mean I mean it's kind of like it's business time now like it, Christmas is over now everything feels like it counts that little bit more um, which is lovely but a team that's been making it count all in is Liverpool I mean they've been very very good so far they sit as we record this on 48 points which is five points clear of Man City. Man City have a game in hand and five points clear of Arsenal. Arsenal do not. And five points clear of Villa. Credit where credit's due. Um, But yeah, um, Liverpool looking very good. Great value for their attacking strength, um, which is, I think, the hallmark of a Jurgen Klopp team. Um, They've been very good defensively. I think I once made the bold comment that I thought Arsenal's defense was better and the numbers proved me so far wrong. Um, at least so far this season, I, like there's a long way to go. But um, yeah, Liverpool, despite... I think I, we've talked about this already, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But um, despite the lack of steel in midfield, uh, they look good value for money. Yeah, like and as well, I think the the main thing coming out of the game against Bournemouth is that J- Jota and Nunez stuck, you know, stood up quite prominently, both of them scoring those goals, and that you know, Afcon's impact is probably lessened. You know, like there was one FA Cup game, uh, you know, they play next week, but like Salah's injury, like sorry, what I'm trying to say is that Salah's injury probably mightn't actually be the worst thing you know give him a, it depends on whether or not Egypt go all the way and he does play again in the sort of semi-finals or quarter-finals or even the final of AFCON for them but it's given opportunity for Jota and Nunez and uh, Gakpo and Diaz all to kind of step up and step in and it looks to be working so far anyway based on one result against Bournemouth but I yeah it's it's funny like you, you say Arsenal's defence is better and you're not wrong like Liverpool's numbers are stronger but at times this season, it didn't really feel like they were the best defenders, but it's just coming out that way in the wash. Um, they have an ex- the best goalkeeper in the league, for sure, and Van Dijk's always going to be one of the top-rated centre-halves in the league as well. But they're kind of just managing well, and I think dealing with the various challenges they've faced um, throughout the season. So, yeah, fair play to Liverpool, top of the table. Kind of have to mention them on our return, but 
other than that, I don't know if there's much to say. Like, uh, I mean, just just one thing that springs to mind. Maybe it, it's worth two two or three minutes of discussion. Um, you know, we, we talk about Arsenal and Liverpool and, and Man City being involved in this title race. Um, like, is this the difference? Is this the difference between? And I'm not trying to cut my hero off of the knees, but is this the difference between a Jurgen Klopp and a Mikel Arteta? Jurgen Klopp being able to squeeze all the juice out of what he's got versus Mikel Arteta still seemingly crafting something, still trying to build something. Is that the difference between a Premier League t- one team winning the Premier League title and one team not? Perhaps down the line. Well, you also have to like we all have to remember that it was what three. How many years before Klopp won a title um, with Liverpool? It was he joined in twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen, and they won it twenty twenty. Um, so like now, I know Arteta's coming up on that period of time, but these things do take time. I think Klopp is definitely just so embedded in his club and in his team, his own fiercely he does his research in the background. But uh, yeah, just trying like, to see. He's far more embedded than Arteta is in a sense. I know I know you'd argue like the, the link up with Edu and everything else going on, like Arteta's across everything. But like like Klopp and Liverpool are just so entwined these days and like he's extended his contract beyond anything and the old monikers about his life his shelf life, you know, from his time at Dortmund and everything else. I think he's just proven people wrong. Any doubts that there were about him, probably unfounded from myself and others, like as I say about those uh, life those life cycles he's had with Dortmund and Mainz and everything else but rebuilding the team you know like I think this all just proves he's he is one of the best managers around like and realistically in the summer like I, th- I just think they will probably be well prepared for the event inevitable departure of Salah uh, given that they're starting to bed in a whole new attacking framework from midfield and forwards so he's just longer in the tooth of this than Arteta I would say you know he's definitely longer as a manager anyway and we, we both know he's older so I yeah we'll see uh, there's something a bit more direct and by all accounts I think anything I've I've read or, or listened to like Klopp's moved away from as much on the field tactical stuff and like Pep Linders is quite prominent there he's just this overarching figure now um, who manages the whole team and, and everything else but like not he's not responsible for all of the tactics so um I think he's just becoming an exceptional manager too, <laughs> as a surprise to no one. Yeah, I mean, um, that's what they they always talk about, isn't it? Like there was that rumor of like if Klopp does take take a step away, who replaces him in the name? That I think most educated guesses were Pep Linders. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just an interesting thought. I mean, I still think Arteta has all the tools he needs to maybe win the title. Um, if not this season, then maybe some other time. But um, but yeah, I think it's just sometimes it 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 um, when you see a manager like Klopp just getting squeezing the juice out of play, like you know, you've seen Alex Ferguson do it so many times, get so much juice out of lads that were like not with it, like not don't want to say not of the caliber to play for Manchester United, but you know not names that you'd hang on the wall and, and remember forever. Um, you know, I have that image of Anderson lifting the Premier League title in my head. Um, but that's what happens. That is what happens. 
Um, but moving on, let's talk about the old other big beast in the Premier League, uh, Man City. Kevin De Bruyne is back. Man City um, are back, I suppose. Uh, this just bores me. <laughs> it I bores just... you because you fear it. Yeah. But I'm sick of it, though, as well. Like, I'm sick of it. They're so annoying. And they're just so, like, oh, like nonchalant in how they go about these title charges. Like, I can't take another Bernardo Silva jinky run from the right-hand side. Like, my heart can't take it. Um, But they're very good at what they do. He's a very good manager. And Kevin De Bruyne... Kevin De Bruyne. Um, I mean, he's one of the greatest Premier League players of all time. He's one of the greatest that we've ever seen. He's one of the greatest that we've seen in our lifetime for sure. Um, you know, we used to. I think. I think we had this conversation in in a car on the way down to the countryside once. Me, you, and a couple of other friends. I think we were talking about how um, it's no longer about. Uh, Gerard Lampard skulls. It's about which one of those do you pick to go with De Bruyne in your all-time eleven, um, which I think is a a mark of the man that we're talking about in the Man City midfield. An absolute beast of a football player, one of the greatest of all time, maybe even in the top five of the greatest Premier League players we've seen. Yeah, like I think I might be guilty of forgetting about him in a in a strange sense. Like, given he was injured and out for so long. I wonder, like, just just the, the, the what he was able to do in twenty five minutes against Newcastle was astounding. Honestly, um, the goal, the pass, just the way he ran the play, and like, you, you kind of just move on, like a city does, like the cycle does, and it's like, oh, he's injured, yeah, whatever. Like, oh, do they really need him? You know, they've got Foden, they've got all these guys. But when you see him come back in and do, do what he does and what he did. And the fact as well, like Haaland isn't wasn't even in that team, and the link up they had last year, like I think in a lot of senses everyone should be quaking in their boots if they have any aspirations about winning a title because City have kind of bumbled their way through this kind of period um, up till now the first twenty games that they've played anyway they've won in hand obviously but the fact of the matter is that they can call upon at the best player in two positions and like it kind of quashes. To be like, look, not not to get a dig in, but I, genuinely, like, I I think it needs to be said in the sense that like, Odegaard's a kind of a pretender to the throne still. Do you know he still has a lot to do? Oh yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. like, do you know what I mean? Like, I'd say you were one to, to to give him his flowers, and there's been a lot of praise going around from him for him and and like Ash De Bruyne has passed at this and that, but like, nah, De Bruyne is not gone just yet, lads. You know, there's still a lot of a ways to ways to go for a lot of these players who are trying to be the next one. Um, in the Premier League at the very least so yeah incredible to have him back for them and I say through gritted teeth obviously but um, I don't want to be one of those guys who's like it's over it's over for the rest of you but it kind of feels like an impending sense of doom that they'll be able to call upon those two guys um, plus everything else that City have at their disposal so you can only hope uh, you know in a very harsh run in the Champions League and FA Cup could just really takes a toll out of the team and they falter at the last in the Premier League in your favour I would I would assume rather than Liverpool's on 
the uh, the thing is about him that I kind of didn't consider is like his body, like so his mind and his skill will never go away. Class is permanent, right? Thing we always say in football. However, um, his body is sort of wearing down now. He's he's thirty two, I believe, um, and. The thing is that I I was thinking is like, oh yeah, like his body's breaking down, Kevin De Bruyne, da 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 da. Like maybe he's on the way out. Maybe this is the setting sun of Kevin De Bruyne. And then I was like, wait a minute. He plays for Man City, who are a stacked team full of great players. Even having him play less than 90 minutes per game, like keeping him on ice a little bit, is terrifying. <laughs> Like you see, we saw it the other day. What can happen? Like, imagine you're tired going tit for tap with Man City, and then they bring on that thing. Like, come on, man. Um, yeah, like, oh, as much as I hate to say it, they they are going to build up ahead of steam as they always do. Uh, it's about whether one of the other teams can stop them. Um. I think they play Arsenal and Liverpool within two weeks. I think around March, April. Um, so they play both. And the prevailing sense, if you've watched the Premier League in the last 10 years, would be that's where they can go full Thanos mode, beat both of them, end it all there, good night, see you in September. Um, but, you know... The Premier League isn't written that way, thankfully for all of us. Um, but yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I think they're going to be a hard object to move um, when you see them in full flight like that. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, And, you know, I suppose one, one caveat to this and potentially a way to move up, move up the conversation on is that they do have 115 charges leveled against them for financial improprieties. improprieties so... You know, we shall see. And uh, speaking of financial misconduct, on now might be a good time for us to to talk a little bit about Everton and Nottingham Forest recent charges, um, which, as we understand, will probably could both carry the the penalty of the ten points deduction. Everton getting stung yet again. Uh, like, uh, I don't know what's your opinion on this. On like, I think some people are like, well, rules broke. That's it. Take take your beating like you should. And then there's others questioning the the strength of the rules, even even from with outside those two clubs. You know, it's not it's not just fans of them giving out stink about, about rules and regulations. But um, I don't know. And what's your prevailing sense about the latest round of uh, financial breaches? Um, I mean, this is a tough one because it's like, like I think I mentioned before. Uh, when we were talking about the same sort of thing, I don't like these things anyway. Like, I hate I hate this sort of thing. I hate this sort. I hate points deductions. I hate all of it. I think it's all just like, it's all quite annoying. Um, will I pop a bottle of champagne if Man City get relegated? Yes, but like, um, but that's for a completely different reason. That's so selfish and so so beneficial. But, um, I guess what I'm saying is, is that these charges in 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 a certain sense don't have too much to do with football they have to do with poor management of an asset of a football club and 
this is something that the players themselves cannot control for many clubs that are the size of the clubs we're talking about the managers can't control and certainly the fans can't control and they're three groups of people who are heavily affected by what happens um you know we we've seen this with with everton and and there's very well documented reasons behind why their financial woes are happening and it, it it's very much tied into the real world and things that are going on um and things that are far more important than football um and with nottingham forest i mean we've seen them do silly silly things in transfer windows and just bringing bodies in on a conveyor belt essentially and not really getting assets out i mean they they spoke about um trying to sell players and not being able to and this weird sort of oh we tried to sell this player to this club and it didn't happen and if that had happened then we would have been okay is what what their excuse was it's like oh we didn't get to this done in time and that was the cutoff for the accounts blah 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 but it's like if i don't have the money to buy something then i can't buy it you know what i mean I, like i don't think the signings of some of the players that they brought in were life or death like they couldn't they could have not done that if you look at club, clubs that have that are operating at the top of the table and, and what they've done you're looking at let's say yeah just because it's what i know arsenal right for example probably aren't going to bring in a player in the january window and that's all to do with ffp um and the rules and if you look at taking david raya on loan before we hand over the money for it to be a permanent even though it's basically a permanent it's a like it's avoidance of the rule that that the purpose of that is avoidance of the rule um so if you look at top clubs are very calculated in how they manage these things and in terms of how they get players off the books and i mean look at chelsea chelsea are within the rules so far of what we know they've done under todd bowley at the very least we think um so far i mean i I don't know the rules inside and out but again it's avoidance of the rules where it just seemed like for me speaking more to nottingham forest that they were directly just sort of being brash and bold in the transfer market and not necessarily being as clever as they should be and just taking players like I mean like you know Serge Aurier um like even players that they took on on loan onto their wage bill I know that's outside outside of what we're talking about right now but just seems like there didn't seem to be much of a plan in terms of what they were doing um you know I don't know if I would have signed Matt Turner to be my number one goalkeeper. You know what I mean? For the money that they paid for him. Um, it just doesn't seem necessary, a lot of this stuff. Um, yeah, for, jump in there. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, like, look, there's kind of three points to this. And I'll circle back to Nottingham Forest in a second. But, like, the Everton, I think, are should, I, I can feel for them because they're, they're essentially getting... Stung twice for the same offence, which seems I know it's a rolling three year period and everything else, but like that seems harsh. And as well, like as you mentioned, like there's to an extent from the fan perspective, there are things outside of their control that contributed to that. But equally, I think it's a cautionary tale. Like you look at crypto and look at all these deals with effusive, let's say, betting companies that Premier League teams do. It's like sometimes these things come back to bite you and rightfully so like you're doing deals with sort of 
not fully clear-cut entities. So you have to be more cognizant of what you're doing. Um, and that can be said of how Everton have dealt with things. But I do think it's a bit harsh to be stung for the same thing twice. And I completely agree with you on, like, when it comes to the deadlines and everything else, like, look, these are the rules the clubs have signed up to. And they've agreed them. You know, I think it's a 14 out of 20 majority. Now, you know, obviously there's certain clubs who are always going to be in that majority and who can kind of control things to a certain extent. You know, I'm talking of your Manchester United's and Man City's and those with the power and Arsenal, those with power and money and status enough that they will remain in the Premier League no matter what. So they can control and put binds to a certain extent on the lesser clubs by setting revenue losses to a certain amount because they know themselves that they make so much money where it's harder for lower clubs to generate that same amount of cash. However, it is also kind of trying to keep the game sustainable. Like we've had several instances, QPR, you know, many moons ago and like look what's happening to Reading in the in the championship now. Um and like there's you just have to be careful, I think, as as a club. But uh, yeah, circling back to Nottingham Forest and to like uh, if you compare, say, you know, that uh, the Red Bull thing with the whole breach of the cap they had of a couple of million and that the whole joke was well they spent the money on catering catering <laughs> yeah but you know that the, the, how can you overspend on catering do you know what i mean like the catering is what it is like by overspending on catering realistically you probably allowed yourself to spend extra on something else and i think that's true of what nottingham forest have done like this mitigation that they sold uh brandon williams sorry not brandon williams he plays for who am I? Brendan Johnson. Brendan Johnson. Brendan Johnson. Brendan Williams, the the former United <laughs> left back. Well, sorry, yeah, Brendan Johnson. But like, they had a deadline. They missed it. They spent money they didn't have. Like, they broke uh, the rules. They were waiting. They were waiting for something to cover. I think they were trying to say that like he was supposed to go to Brentford and he didn't want to go. <laughs> it's like you can't just kick him out just for your rules. Like they they also got more money from Tottenham yeah. they did would have done for Brentford um, yeah I like you know this kind of thing can end your Premier League dream um, you know it could but, end yeah yeah no far away, far away sorry can I just just add one final piece of that which is no, that of the reckless let's say spending or the, the sort of like the fact as well on they spent they bought Matt Turner and then towards the end of the window bought Flacadimas from Benfica in the same token. Like, surely you buy one and you're back an academy keeper, you know, if you're trying to grow to be your number two. If you're trying to grow a club sustainably, that yeah. is. Most and of like us they, don't have an Xbox on a PlayStation, you know what I mean? Yeah, precisely. But think of all the clubs that went down last year at the expense of, of Nottingham Forest and, and Everton to a certain extent. But, like, at least Everton didn't really do it with player purchases you know they, they bought to marry gray and suffered like 1.5 million you know so they weren't spending huge and vast amounts of money but like by buying all of those players you know it, it is a kind of a scattergun approach that but it does increase your odds of picking up a good one yeah no of course like but like you you, you touch on something really really important there and that's the other clubs that are involved in this and i mean last season we had um Leicester, Leeds and Southampton go down. Now, there are three clubs that are doing particularly well in the Championship this year. They're up there. Um, but if you look at a Leicester, let's say, they knew they were on the cusp of the rules. 
um, and didn't bring in bodies. They didn't start making signings. They had to sell a few players. They they were trying to keep themselves in line. Um, Southampton tried a new model and failed. Um, or tried to tried to do something a little bit different and and failed quite quite badly. Um, and you know, I, I think Leeds was a case of mismanagement and and probably bringing in the wrong players. Um, but the question remains: if Nottingham Forest stayed within the rules, now. I don't know if it would have made too much of a difference because I'm not sure how much money they needed to be around this, but I mean, they probably could have not signed the likes of the second goalkeeper or other things along those lines. Um, But ultimately, you have to look at it from the point of view of the teams that went down and had their Premier League dream taken away. If while, While they're sticking to the rules and other clubs aren't, I reckon if you ask anyone at those three clubs, they'd say relegate them, <laughs> like you know, relegate them, get them gone. If they're breaking the rules and it keeps them in, yeah. What well, wasn't it a case where uh, West Ham were successfully sued by another club because of the dodgy dealings around the signings of uh, Matarano and Tevez way back in the day, and I think they had to pay out money to was it Charlton? in terms of like it was a civil suit in terms of lost earnings by whatever so they, so they were found in breach so like that is one question I suppose all of these breaches are going to raise and like the Premier League seems very gung-ho to get them all sorted in before this summer when they change their rules so like I'd be curious to see now does this open up any of these teams to uh, civil proceedings from other clubs who lost out because they followed the rules where these ones didn't so I, I, I don't know that's just an interesting wrinkle I wonder yeah. we see in the future like i i would think that the premier league has put put um things in place so that that can't happen um but i'm just i'm just looking here like just that i i'm particularly ragging on nottingham forest because we've talked about everton already and like you said it's like they there was other certain other factors involved in why they are where they are right now and they're looking for a takeover at the minute and it may or may not be approved so we don't know yet, really, what's what's going to happen with Everton. But I really have to criticise Nottingham Forest and the way they've gone about their business. I mean, I'm looking here. Um, you know, you look at a signing like a Chris Wood for 17 million, Anthony Alanga for 17 and a half, Ibrahim Sangare, who great signing, um, you'd think, right? But like 35 million. Like you can't be spending that kind of money when you're looking at the accounts and looking at how close you are to trouble. Like the reason why they're complaining about the Brennan Johnson thing is because they they knew they were so close to trouble. So it doesn't really make any sense to me bringing in they all also, these players. They also did things like they signed Morgan Gibbs away for thirty million, and fair enough, he's working out well for them. But they also gave Jesse Lingard like wages of one hundred and fifty k or something a week for that first season in the league, which you've kind of signed two of the same players so how can you really like that's not optimising your squad spend and the same for like Emmanuel Denny like I just read today he's gone back on loan to to Watford after you know and they spent 15 million on him so yeah questionable questionable work in in the transfer market yeah looking at those signings like you had Iowanee who like basically had a great stint to keep them up last year like to, to be involved and to 
and to um, really crack on towards the second half of last season. Um, you know, a player that they signed for 20-odd million. Um, but even looking at players like uh, Joao Carvalho, um, Emmanuel Denis, you've got Mangala in midfield, you've got our own Andrew Mbamadele, who they signed from Norwich for 12, some 12 and a half, 13 million euro. Um, he's Mourinho, only this... seen, I think, FA Cup minutes, by the way. So, like, he's yeah, not exactly you know, been a necessary signing. Like, there's a lot of players over the years, like even Biancone, Dominguez, Niacate, uh, like 10 million, 10 million, 10 million, 9 million. Like, players here, there, and everywhere that all add up to something. And then bringing in these players on loan that are big players like i mean they brought in loddy um last season like the loan fee for loddy for a club like nottingham forest is five million quid like a few years ago that would have been a big signing for the club when they were in the lower divisions like at what like there has to be a point where you remember where you came from and try and figure this thing out you look at some clubs that have done well with that over the years like you know, if you were a time traveler and you jump back a decade, maybe I'm maybe I'm not in the right spot there, but you, you understand my point is when I talk about clubs like Brighton and Brentford, I know Brentford aren't having the best of seasons this season so far, but if I told you 10, 15 years ago that those clubs were not only going to be Premier League clubs, but be clubs that bigger teams even looked up to in terms of how they operate and what they do. There's ways and means. Get a better scouting department. Invest in your facilities. Invest in your academy. Like you don't have to spend five million on a loan player when you are not one of the top teams in the division. So I have a lot of sympathy for the Nottingham Forest fans and the and the players and the and the coaching staff. They're a big club and they deserve to be in the Premier League on merit. They're they they're a great club. Um, but I have no sympathy for the ownership or the or the man or the upper management. Yeah, no, they they just seem to manage like <laughs> like everyone questioned the spending spree in the first season of the Premier League, and you know it didn't quite curtail as much as we thought in the second. And um, I I was looking through the, even half the players you mentioned on like and the ones you didn't like ones they signed that summer at least five six of them have gone out on loan, so they didn't even manage to sell them on for a fee. You know, I'm talking about your John Joe Shelby's and. Uh, Fruler and stuff as well so yeah John I think we spent enough Shelby. time giving out yeah <laughs> oh my god I can't believe you just said John Joe Shelby I forgot about that as well he's in the like he's gone to the Saudi league which shocked me but anyway anyway we, we digress yeah yeah no yes, yes. I'll say hello if I see him yeah um, the bag. yeah yeah um, but yeah let's move on um your boys I mean, let's 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 yeah, get let's, talk, let's let's uh, let's get a move on we're talking about the Arsenal 5-0 against Crystal Palace. Happy days. Um, luckily, I was able to give them a personal talking to. Uh, some, some of them. I mean, only a few of those players actually played in the game. I did have a word with David Raya, though, and told him, come on, man. Like, let's uh, let's really show off that distribution. And I think he did in this game. Um, but I don't think... I, did I mention that on the podcast that I met some of the Arsenal players? No, no, that, that happened between between records. Yeah, but... yeah. So I, I met some of the Arsenal players here in Dubai while they're on warm weather uh, training camp. 
um, specifically David Raya, Alexander Zinchenko, Cedric Suarez, who I need to check if he still plays for Arsenal because I think he might be going to Turkey. Um, Reese Nelson and Carl Hine. And for those of you who don't follow Arsenal, uh, Carl Hine is our third choice goalkeeper. Big lad, but uh, not very well known. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, I joke, but I, I did get to have like a quick word with them, which was nice. Re- very, very cool. Cool thing for me. I've never met an Arsenal player before, um, or at least a, a senior men's player. So really, really cool. Um, and really, really cool to be back on the in the W column. Uh, 5-0. Crystal Palace were atrocious. <laughs> but, like, you know, you take them where you get them. You put five goals past them. I mean, two walk, walk-ins, essentially, for Martinelli towards the end of the game. Um, but I thought Arsenal looked like they had a bit more of a spring in their step. I think this little break was quite beneficial for not just Mikel Arteta, but Nicholas Jover of the um our, our set piece coach um i think you can see a clear difference in the set pieces that arsenal were taking uh declan rice taking a corner and getting him bagging himself an assist in the process i think kaya saka looks a little bit more relaxed um i think he was a little bit burnt out martinelli himself got a got a nice cameo towards the end uh, i think he was facing a lot of criticism before we uh took took that little break um, don't think it's worth talking about the David Raya conversation anymore. That conversation's over. He's the number one goalkeeper. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the only player that, you know, you would do want to kind of give flowers to and zone in on particularly is probably Big Gabby, Gabriel Magalhaes at centre-half. Um, I think he's probably been one of Arsenal's most consistent players over the last few years. He's certainly played the most out of almost anybody. And... Um, yeah, I think that partnership of him and Saliba is really damn good. Um, really, really, really good. But as much as I'd love to keep talking about Arsenal winning and 5-0 and, and everything, I thought Palace were terrible. I thought they showed a lack of knowledge as to what they were supposed to be doing. And uh, also, I kind of think maybe, I hate to say it, but I think maybe the the race is run for Roy. I know he do, I know he doesn't like people saying that, but it's like, like I just want him to go and rest. Go to the Maldives, man. Like enjoy yourself. You've nothing left to prove to anybody. And I know he loves the game. I know he loves the game. He like he he wouldn't be doing what he's doing if he didn't love the game. And he loves the club, and everything. But I just can't. Like, I think the club needs to move on. Every, the Crystal Palace need to move on. They tried with Patrick Vieira and they gave up. Um, I, they need to try something different. Now they need to roll on with something again. Um, do, do you recall one of our very first episodes in which I went on a bit of a tangent, giving out saying, like, what is the point of Crystal Palace? Like, why are you sticking with yeah. Hudson? This, that, and other. And since we've recorded that podcast, Roy Hodgson has left the club. Vieira's come in and Hodgson's back and they are now in the same position. And it's a same not worse, If not worse off the, with the new ownership structure. I don't even know what the Palace ownership structure is like. Yeah, but... it, it's worse now. It's bad. 
it's like it's a bit confusing steve parish is still there but there's other parties involved and it's sort of that thing where like you know we're just talking about two other clubs there right um in everton and nottingham forest it's sort of one of those ones where you can smell a disaster i well i can at least i mean i've seen this story written before and people say surely crystal palace couldn't that couldn't happen to crystal palace they've been so progressive with bringing through youth players and playing a certain style and everything but you know I don't think enough credit has been given to losing their talisman uh, in Wilf Zaha. Um, the amount of times he carried them, if not physically, but at least spiritually, through seasons and seasons and seasons in the Premier League, being by far their best player and being a guy, you know, he's a big game player, Wilf Zaha. They don't have that anymore. They lost a lot of those like players like Milivojevic and other players who were rough and tumble ready to get in there like i don't see them as a club as the club that they once were so they need to turn something over really quick um but like you said what is the point like where's the direction what is the because roy hodgson hodgson for better or for worse is not a long-term solution well i recall reading as well that their plan succession plan to roy was you know was to get rid the end of the season and you know finally allow him to rest but they they intended to use the season as like a training camp for for some assistant manager that they have currently so like i uh, that poses many risks but even like you mentioned zaha being a i think i think actually palace have quite a decent squad like you think a gay he anderson at the heart of their defense but then they spent however much money messing around buying sam johnson and dean henderson two very similar profile goalkeepers and then you know Elise and Eze are obviously the crown jewels of the team, but they haven't really given those guys a manager to really push them on and flourish. Like Vieira was kind of like his CV spoke to a guy who was very much a steady Eddie kind of manager. Like he probably wouldn't get you relegated, but he probably wouldn't get you progressing either. And they were so chastened by their experience in last season that they sacked Vieira and brought in Roy again. Do you know what I mean? Like they, they just panicked and, and broke glass in case of Roy. So, like, I don't know. They, like, look at what Bournemouth are doing. You know, they've got new investors. Like, they, they went and they backed a really exciting manager in a, a lesser-known Spanish side, you know? And, like, maybe they should be looking to do something like that. And I know it poses its own risks, but the benefits are a happier fan base because they're kind of just treading water in the Premier League and they have been for years. And I would have talked about this back then, too. So, like, yeah. The fans themselves are even, I think some of those banners said wasted talent. And I think that's a, that is a key here because ultimately, are they just going to be selling off Eze and, and Elise for parts this summer? Um, it remains to be seen, but I don't think Roy Hudson's the guy to, to drive this team forward anymore. Bring Paddy McCarthy back, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree with you. Um, totally agree. I, I just but I also like I, I don't I don't want to even like smite Roy Roy has done amazing and like he's been an amazing like he doesn't have to prove anything his legacy is very well cemented in football and in the league as someone who is a great manager who has done great things with big clubs and smaller clubs and, and internationally you know he, he's a he's a manager that has proven quite a lot and I just think that now it's time to move on um 
but yeah it would have been nicer to see him go out a nicer way because I just don't think this is this is going to end up nice the players don't have that spring in their step that they should have um, and you just have to worry I think in my, in my opinion like I mean they're, they're down there in 21st they could be saved by the bell by the points deductions um, depending on how other teams do I mean Luton Burnley and Sheffield aren't pulling up any trees 21st did you say on oh sorry 15th they're on 21 points it's <laughs> <laughs> like jeez um, you found a new listen, position in the I'm, league I'm on a new time zone now my friend I'm on a new time zone it's it's late over here my brain is melted um, but uh, yeah like I, I think they could be saved by the bell in that sense and that the tussle underneath them it's just a little bit too much with points deductions and the other teams just being genuinely crap. And like you mentioned, that talent, um, like Anderson, Eze, um, Olise, you know, even Eduard uh, is, a, is a very, very capable player. Of course, as well, the blonde Baggio, Will Hughes, not to be forgotten. Um, but I'm also wondering where Rob Holding is. Uh, I've I've now seen sight nor sound of him and I'm a bit worried about him. So Rob, if you're listening, please call. Um but yeah, I I guess like uh that that's kind of that on that. I mean from an Arsenal perspective, the important thing is the Liverpool game. Well, gotta go through Nottingham Forest themselves first. But the important thing is the Liverpool game on the fourth of February. So uh I think we can have a bit more of a serious Arsenal conversation after that. But otherwise there's been a lot going on at uh Manchester United. Um, the old executive reverse Carlos Tevez, eh? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you took you took the words right out of my mouth. Like yeah. the react the reaction from the fan base of the coup of Nick and Omar Barada, uh, Man City's. <laughs> like, it, it genuinely, I think, I think oh, the fans man. are one step shy of recreating. Do you know that uh, "Welcome to Manchester" banner? Like, you know, uh, I just have to laugh. It's funny. It's funny. Like, but the the seriousness at which people are taking this it, it is crazy. Like, it is crazy. But, but it just speaks to how down bad, like, the Manchester United fans are. Don't you think, like, it is... <laughs> they've been crying out for a serious football operator, and they may finally have gotten one. Uh, you, know you know what, we, guy... need, we need someone like Ralph Ragnick. There's a guy who knows who's <laughs> But I remember that part, and I was like, "This is great strategy." It's almost yeah. he'll come, in, he'll come in, he'll fix the, he'll 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 stabilize the team, but then he'll move into executiveship, and then he just like burn every bridge. That the results were atrocious, and it's like, oh, okay, but at least this time they're actually like, look, Radcliffe is doing all the right things, isn't he? he he's going around, he's shaking hands, he's kissing babies, he's he's placating the the supporters groups. You know, let's not pretend that this isn't all part of a larger strategic ploy. But in terms of a first action, hiring this guy, a proper football executive, which, you know, is laughable to first most one in others. a while. Exactly. It's the first one ever. He's oh, the first since like, since like David Gill. No, but it's the first since David Gill who's been a, a externally appointed CEO. Oh, sure. Or yeah, a, yeah. A, or at least high ranking football executive. Like you've got your lads like John Murta, who's just been promoted through the club. It seems just by pure longevity, if anything. So, yeah, this is this is more exciting than signing fucking, you know, Havertz or... <laughs> I don't know why I went for Havertz. Like, 
<laughs> more exciting than signing Haaland. <laughs> this is more exciting than do? signing Haaland or something to, to United fans nearly. Do you know what I mean? Uh, like It's like the hope and optimism of having a, a genuine football slash football operations ahead come into your club. And I think it is the extra little spice that he was nicked for Man City. Um, and it was wasn't trailed in the media at all. So it's uh, it's big news in, in, a, in a lot of ways to then. And then like equally, yeah, it's going to be a boring season for United. Like that draw with, with Spurs was lucky to say the least. So United fans are going to get their kicks from executive appointments and talk of restructured recruitment processes. Uh, I think that's, that's how it's going to go from now on. So yeah, it's a... Uh, Exciting times. I don't know, Owen, like if you've any overarching thoughts about it without me talking about it too extensively as the biased fan I am, but I see a lot of hope and optimism for the future under the 25% ownership of Jim Radcliffe. It's probably, as I say, because we're just crying out for it, but it's a good sign, probably. Yes, getting overexcited about a new CEO, but come on, when you've been down in the dark for so long, you take your wins when you get them. Well, like... You need a new CEO, for sure. You need someone someone to, to captain the ship. And, you know, taking somebody from the best club in the world, from a footballing standpoint at least, um, you know, it seems quite a logical thing to do. And something that you can, where you can see the sort of remnants of what Manchester United is within football that being that for Manchester United is ultimately a bigger job than being that for Manchester City. I know he wasn't that for Manchester City. It's a bit, it's a different role that he's really moving into at Man United. But ultimately, that is the power that Man United hold in football and still hold and bearing a disaster will forever hold. So that's what they have to utilise to get themselves back to where they should be and need to be. I mean... Speaking from experience, signing city staff is a good idea. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, like we've got not we've got multiple Man City alumni at, at Arsenal now, including the manager himself, um, and Manchester United alumni, I guess. But um, but also in in the aforementioned uh, Nicholas Yeover as well at, at set pieces. Um, like we took a lot of playing staff too. I imagine that's something that you guys will be looking at. They won't sell to us anymore, but they might sell to you now. Um, but yeah, it's it. There's a lot of things in there that are interesting. I wouldn't get too carried away just yet, of course. Um, there's still a long way to go, and I think now his biggest job is that turnover of playing staff. How do do? does he and the rest of the club get the playing staff into a place where everyone is happy with who is on the books at Man United and who is playing for Man United? Um, there's going to be some, like, I mean, now is not the time for us to have them, but there is going to be some difficult decisions and difficult conversations that have to happen when we get towards the summer. Well, can uh, I just jump in on that? Um, yeah, yeah. Like the t- two points. Firstly, Another positive off the pitch is that United, yes, they're sold like uh, Alvaro Fernandez, well, loaned for sell, sale and Hannibal Medry's gone for loan for, to, to sell as well. But there's buyback clauses for those players. So unlike in previous years where, I don't know, someone they sell does really well, 
a young player they sell that is who does really well and that they've no chance to buy them back except for 105 million <laughs> Pogba. But, you know, like, not that he was the, a resounding success even when he signed up, but, you know, at least they're giving themselves that option. But to your point more specifically about the difficult decisions, I do wonder, is Ten Hag going to survive till the end of next season? And now hear me out, this may seem mad, but the sort of moves the club is going to have to make will take time. And the sort of cutting of the dead wood from the edges of this squad is going to take time. Is it more sensible to just allow Ten Hag to see out the contract as you shape the playing squad into a more cogent long-term vision that isn't built on the whims of a manager? So I'm talking more so that you reshape the squad with a new director of football wherein you bring, you know, Garnacho as a key piece, Hoyland is backed, you know, you've got Martinez, you'll sign a new young centre half in the summer. But rather than given the sort of mishmash squad to a new manager and you start the whole process again, do you kind of just continue the, the cutting of the dead wood and you sell Anthony and you do all of that? And you see if Ten Hag can turn it around the second half of the season, but equally, like his, he didn't have to do as much as he does for Man United Ajax, is what I understand anyway. So like, I'm not not backing the manager in any way, shape, or form. However, I wonder is there any sense to just letting him run out his contract without paying him a, a big severance fee and see what he can do as you improve the football operations, which is what I believe the intention is with signings like your man Omar uh, Barada. I would think that it needs to be more assumed deck than that. I think it needs to be a, a philosophy needs to be an overarching philosophy needs to be established at Man United of what playing at Manchester United is on and off the pitch. Um, and I don't think this manager has a breeze about that. Um, so I don't think he see. I think I don't even know if he gets to the end of the season, to be honest. Um, I, I think he will, no matter what. To be yeah, honest. I'm saying, but I'm saying, I w- it wouldn't surprise me. Two or two or three losses in a row, and I think that's it. Um, I don't, I don't think the new structure are going to have much patience with him, and probably are looking for an excuse. I, I this is something I talked about the entire time. It's not their project. And we've seen this yeah, time and time and nothing... time and time again in football. Is is there any real upside to doing it before the summer? Is my question. I'm looking at it from the old stories of football and just thinking of how many times this has happened. And every time this happens, in some way, shape, or form, whether it's new ownership, new structure, new executive leadership, the manager goes, for the most part. Um one of the the prevailing survival stories was Arsene Wenger. You know what I mean? Who, at the time, had been at Arsenal for a very, very, very long time, and was essentially the only reason why he was kept on as manager. Let's not forget, is not because of what he did on the pitch, which of course remarkable, but is because a lot of the bank loans that Arsenal had were secured against his employment, <laughs> um, because he was so consistently bringing them into the Champions League and bringing in revenue and his employment essentially 
until very, very late on in his tenure, secured a lot of money for Arsenal in, in credit. Um, not to downplay Arsene Wenger's career, he's the greatest manager in our history, but you know you know what I'm saying. I'm talking about the blood-toothed shark element of football. And I don't see the executive leadership at Manchester United wanting to keep Eric Ten Hag. And I understand what you mean when you say what's the benefit of getting rid of him ahead of the summer? And if I can just use one example, and I'm going to use the the the, the trodden ground of Jaden Sancho, but if I'm this new structure and these new executive structure, and I'm looking at my asset portfolio, if you want to get real vomity, puke-inducing about football, and I'm looking at the asset of Jaden Sancho versus the asset of Eric Ten Hag, and I'm thinking... Which of those assets is more important to me? And I think probably for Man United, it's probably Jaden Sancho. But but see, Owen, the the Sancho loan ends in the summer. So like again, you give the yeah, guy. But, he, you give, but he's not going like, to want to come back and play for Eriksen Hag. No, but he comes. But he's contractually obligated. Like so, like I just I think, look, okay, I might have been a bit far fetched to suggest Ten Hag just sees out his contract in a year and a half. But like, yeah, given he has made some decisions that are questionable given how like a 70 odd million quid asset just was eating lunch boxes eating his meals in a lunch box on the academy training pitch but he's definitely going to see out of this one because there's no world there's no one out there unless for whatever reason they like if united sack ten hag now and it won't be until you know Ineos are ratified as the new part owners and controllers of the football operations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Boring, you know, legal language. The only thing that would cause him to be sacked is if, is if I don't know, their preferred target is ready and able to come on board. Do you know what I mean? So like, is it Nagels? I don't know. Because, but to me, honestly, think- there's no name out there to replace them to, to, to start the new project per se. Like, unless they, they, I don't know, do a deal for Deserby on, on the quiet. All of that's going to happen in the summer. It'll be lined up to start June 30th or something, probably. Do you know what I mean? I don't think I ne- I don't think that's the best place plan. I think the plan will be, and this is how I would go about it, so correct me if I'm wrong. And I'm just an armchair fan being silly. But I would bring in a manager, and I'm not naming names, but I would bring in a manager that I know tactically is incredibly astute. Like incredibly astute. Um, somebody whose job at this present time, if they were to come into Manchester United, is just to train and to win games, right? Because this person will ultimately be implementing a higher level philosophy that is coming from above. That's how that's how they will be interviewed and how they will but take the job. But that person doesn't exist, no. You don't think? Like not 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 before the summer. Do you know what I mean? Like like. Yeah, they, but I mean, like like they back Nagelsmann. Like the only name I can think of, honestly, is Nagelsmann, and he's tied up with the German national team till after the Euros. So that probably won't be the guy. Xabi Alonso is a like he's not leaving Leverkusen until the end of the season. And even if he's a long shot, given his ties to Liverpool, so like the the guy doesn't exist. This tactical genius doesn't exist anymore. Like Ten Hag is meant to be that guy. What if Thomas Tuchel's available? Absolutely not. Look at the, he's 
Tear and Bayern Munich apart. He wants to sign yeah. Dyer and Trippier and Paulinho to improve that squad. He's, you know, he, he was so much fun at Chelsea. Fu- he's going to cause a fire sale of yeah. Kimmich and Goretzka and destroy Bayern Munich. Um, but I'm not talking. Sorry, that, uh, that was not the name in my head. I was just playing around with German football. But what I more so mean is, you also need timing. Is 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 incredible, right? Um, I don't think that bringing in another manager is going to cause a lot of damage if you bring in just somebody who is capable of managing this team and can garner the respect of the players. Um, like it could like, but like I don't see why you would do that before the summer, because <laughs> unless you unless they're naive enough to think it'll it'll get them Champions League, which from the position they're in now it won't. I just think, like, I'm not saying I'm not saying they should do that during the summer. Like, I, to be honest, I would have. I think they've made plenty of mistakes. Um, I think they've they've let Erickson Hag run with the Bulls for far too long. I I think he should have just been a coach. He shouldn't have really been. He's like, here's the profile of player I want. Go get me it. Um, instead of just being like, hey, can I call up my agent buddies and sign my boys, please? Um. Like and that that is far far too in deep now at this point, but what I'm kind of getting at here is, I think, for every new dawn at a football club, you need a scapegoat. <laughs> you need somebody to come in as the new fresh face while you work away in the background and start to restructure your organization to just be to just exist. That can't be the old guy. It can't be the guy that was there before because that just doesn't work because he was there from before. It has to be a new guy. Every club that has come out of a new dawn and done really, really well has had a fall guy. And not that they intend for him to fall, but just somebody they're not pinning their hopes to. It took Arsenal quite a while. Like, Mikel Arteta came in as coach and then was promoted to manager as the structure changed with Raul Sanyehi leaving and Edu being promoted to football director and everything shifting around, right? You've also got Man City. Man City had some fall guys before they got... Like, you know what I mean? They had some fall guys. (laughs) Even Liverpool. Like, they had to wait until they got the opportunity to bring in their guy like they fully started that season with Brendan Rodgers thinking yay okay and then the opportunity came up where they could replace him with Klopp at a very inconvenient time in the season you know what I mean it's all about timing and I think Man United can take that opportunity maybe try and skip a step or you take on a fall guy Someone who's just going to manage the team, do whatever he can. But I just think with the new ownership, Ericsson... Like, this is what I'm saying I think will happen. It's not what I'm saying should, but this is just the way I see it going. Is that Ericsson Hag eventually will just be brushed aside when he loses a couple of games. And they'll bring in a name that you didn't even think of, or I didn't even think of, because that's what usually happens. I just don't think that's going to happen. I just think Ten Hag gets to the summer, and like he's already lost. Like he'll get to the summer. I don't see Ineos doing anything 
it's funny we talk like the Glazers still on the majority of the club, but like it, it, it the excitement of, of a, a football operation changes is so exciting. But I just don't think like I just don't think there is any like there's no point through the summer. You know, you just kind of you fix everything in the background and you you drop your recruitment strategy for the summer. You tell Ten Hag, look, this is the guys we're looking at. These are all high profile players that are excellent and have good upside. Sorry, they didn't play for Ajax or in the Netherlands. Uh, deal with it. But it probably won't even be him come summer. But like, that's what I mean. I think it's going to be a new guy. It'll be, they may just, you know, entice Nagelsmann. Who knows? Enjoy, like, enjoy the sweet, serene scenes of Potterball, my friend. Yeah, that, that has been rumored, but like. Enjoy it. It's coming. There's your fall but, guy. But the hope is that they're not going to do a Chelsea on it in terms of just buying a million different guys. They're actually <laughs> going to... But anyway, like I think it's been proven that Potter's not the guy you want. You want to serve me if, 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 of the two. So, uh, look, it remains to be seen. That does actually frighten me. That, that you mentioned. Yeah. Potterball. Um, Potterball is your fall That's your, he's your fall guy. I'm telling you, he's your fall guy. Potter is your fall guy. He's already done it once. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's your fall guy. He'll probably be manager for a year, maybe. Maybe a year and a half. Um, but he's your fall guy because he won't get any pull. Think he signed Mikhail Mudrick? Anyway, <laughs> that's enough for this week. Um, but we will be back to chat about DL Premier League next week. Um, but yeah, until then, Sean, you my friend. I'll see you out there. See you out there.